All right, well, good evening. How are you guys feeling tonight? Feeling good? Awesome. Well, hey, welcome to Genesis. We are so glad that you guys are here tonight. My name is Mike, and at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts. And so my hope is that when you came through the door tonight that you felt welcomed, and uh, I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we're glad that you're here. Tonight, we're beginning a new series for the month of August called Spoiler Alert, and that phrase, spoiler alert, has become really popular nowadays, right? Because of, because of the internet, right? There's so many articles and tweets and posts about movies or TV shows. And if you haven't seen the movie or the TV show, you have to you know, proceed with caution and try to avoid the spoilers, right? And th- those online ones are, uh, everybody okay back there? All right. And uh, yes, round of applause. Um, and those are, those are avoidable, right? Those kind of spoilers are avoidable. Uh, you can get around those. The spoiler alerts that are the worst are when they happen in conversation and someone just like rips the Band-Aid off and the ending is ruined for you, right? Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time is Lost, okay? Anybody familiar with Lost? You love it or hate it. I loved it, okay? It, it's my favorite show of all time. And uh, I remember when I first started watching Lost on Netflix, I was in college, and I was like one episode in, and I was hooked. I was like, this is amazing. And I told my mom, I was like, hey, I started watching Lost. And she said, oh, cool. You know they're all dead, right? And I was like, you got to be kidding me, you know? And, and so it turns out she watched it while it was like, well, when it like originally aired or whatever. And, uh, but just so you know, that's like up for debate, so that's not really a spoiler alert. So that's not really, you know, not really a spoiler, but, you know, it's debatable. But I'd have to say, Miller Boone has got to be the worst about spoilers, okay? If you, oh yeah, if you know Miller, <laughs> the guy, he won't even watch trailers of movies because he doesn't even want to know what the movie's about, right? Like, he doesn't even know, want to know whether it's good or not. Like, I don't even want to know if this movie's good. And because it, it, that's, that's a spoiler. I, I know when the, uh, when the new Avengers came out, um, it was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like the way he was avoiding talking to anybody about that movie. And I remember I was standing there with him one day and this person was like, yeah, new Avengers movie. Make sure to bring your tissues. And he was like, got, he just got so mad that they said that because to him, that was a spoiler, right? Like anything could be a spoiler to him. It's hilarious. But when it comes to the Bible, the Bible is filled with spoiler alerts and specifically the Old Testament because all of the Old Testament is pointing to the life and work of Christ. And so throughout this month, we're gonna look at a few Old Testament stories, some, some you may have heard before, and uh, we're gonna see how, not, how, not, how they're not only just good stories, but, but ultimately they are an arrow to Jesus. They were a spoiler alert of what was to come. And so what I want to do first tonight is talk in detail about the important role that the Old Testament plays in the entirety of Scripture. And and I'm not going to spend this much time on this every night, but this was important for week one to kind of get this thing going. So if you would, pray with me, and then we're going to jump jump into this. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you that you have brought us here together. God, we are a body of believers and uh, we're united under one goal tonight, uh, tonight and that is to see you glorified, to see you lifted up. So God, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. We would make big of you and that we'd be closer to you on the way out than when we're coming in. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. So the, the, uh, the Old Testament is part of the Bible that often gets mistaken for a long boring and unnecessary 
reading for a post-cross believer, someone who lives on this side of the cross. And uh, I will say that I agree with one of those. It is long, okay? It is definitely long. My Bible specifically has, I think it's 827, 820 pages or something like that. The Old Testament makes up 600 of those 800 pages. And so the Old Testament is definitely long, but it's not boring. The, the, a lot of the, the most incredible, awe-inspiring stories of the Bible are found in the Old Testament, and it's definitely not unnecessary. And that's the one that I want to focus on, because uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot, of, a lot of talk in Christian circles lately, and maybe this is something that I just hear about because I work at a church and I'm around this kind of stuff a lot, but uh, you may have heard about it too, but there's been a lot of talk in Christian circles lately about the need for Christians to unhinge themselves from the Old Testament for, for a few reasons. There's belief that it's a turnoff to unbelievers. There's belief that it has bad connotations for modern truth. And there's belief that it is no longer relevant to the post-cross church. And so I wanna be clear tonight that those beliefs are not true. The Old Testament tells the story of the very foundation that, that Christianity was built on. And it's the backdrop of the coming of Christ. And it's, it's, it's kind of the, the, the why behind the what. You know, you don't know that you need a savior until you realize that you need saving. And, that old te- and, and the Old Testament shows us that we need saving. So there are so many foreshadowings and glimpses and shadows of, of Jesus in the Old Testament that by the time you get to Matthew, it's like, finally, there he is, the savior that we need, the one we're in need of. And see, the Old Testament is the legs that the story of God stands on. The, the, the Old Testament is the one lobbing the ball in so that Jesus could step in and hit it out of the park. It's like, here's the problem, now here's the solution. And, and I love the way the, the children's storybook Bible says this, and I, I read this to our son all the time. The children's storybook Bible is amazing, by the way. Get it for yourself, I'm not kidding. Um, it's amazing. Uh, but it says this. It says, every verse in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus, the Old and New Testament. I love that. The Old Testament is highly significant. And, and we know because of how often it gets quoted in the New Testament, especially by Jesus. Even the resurrected Jesus talked through the entire Old Testament with some guys in Luke 24. And so the primary goal of the Old Testament is not to find moral examples or, or, or self-application The primary goal of the Old Testament is to illuminate our need for a savior, to show us that he was the plan all along. God wrote the Old Testament with the book of Revelation in mind. It was to show us that no great leader, no great judge or great king was good enough to save. And so when we read the Old Testament as as post-cross believers, we need to read it looking for glimpses of Jesus for spoiler alerts. The famous Old Testament Bible characters that, that, are, you know, that everybody knows were meant for more than Sunday school. They were meant to point us to Christ. That every victory, every failure that they experienced were, were made true and complete in the life of Jesus. And so the target on the wall for this series is not to just find application in Old Testament stories, but to find Jesus. And so tonight we're going to start with an Old Testament story about strength, about mistakes, and about redemption. Tonight, we're gonna start with the story of Samson. And what we're gonna do is move our way through the story tonight, see what we can learn, and uh, and then connect the dots at the end and see the way that it points us to Jesus. So if you would, turn to the book of Judges. Uh, If you have your Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen. This will be a great series to bring your Bible to, uh, whether it's on your phone, a physical Bible. Uh, But turn to the book of Judges. It's it's right between the book of Joshua and uh, the book of Ruth. And 
at the beginning of Judges, Joshua, who is, has been the leader of the Israelites, he's led them through this new promised land. They've been conquering people and winning battles and all these things. Well, he has died. And so the people of God are, are without a leader. And so God, the, so God appoints judges to, to maintain order of the people. And, and when we get to chapter 13, we see the birth of Samson, who would become one of these judges that God would appoint. And so where we pick up the story tonight, we, we see Samson's parents, who at the time have no children because the wife is barren until she gets visited by an angel. And so we're going to read some tonight. So we're going to read some of this story, but I'm also going to tell you some as well so that we can cover it all. Okay, so uh, let's get started. This is Judges 13, 3 through 5. This is what it says. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the, from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So we see that the angel promises a, a child, though the wife had not been able to conceive, and he tells her that he would take the Nazarite vow. So you might be thinking, what, what in the world is a Nazarite vow? And so I didn't want to just tell you where this came from. I wanted to show you. Okay, so the Nazarite vow is something found in the book of Numbers chapter 6. And these are the verses that describe it. This was in the law of Moses. It says, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. All the days of his vow, no razor shall touch his head. And all the days that he separates himself, he shall not go near a dead body. Okay, so he takes this, this Nazarite vow, which meant three things. He couldn't drink alcohol, he couldn't go near dead bodies, and he couldn't cut his hair. Okay, and keep that in mind. Usually these vows were, were taken for a short time, but for Samson, this was going to be his life. This is his entire life. And the angel tells her that, that Samson will begin to save the Philistines from captivity, to begin to save the people of God. And the Philistines were basically just a, a brutal group of people to be, to be uh, captivated by or be captured by. And, and so as the story progresses, like I said, I'm going to tell you some of the story tonight. As the story progresses, Samson is born, like the, like the angel said. He grows up, and as he gets older, he ends up seeing this Philistine woman that he wants to marry. Actually, one of the verses we'll read tonight says that he found her right in his eyes. I don't know if that's romantic, but there you go. Um, and in his mind, this was going to be his in with the Philistines to overthrow them. Well, when it came time for him to marry this woman, we're going to see Samson's fatal flaw. And we're going to see that those Samson, those Samson often remembered for his strength was actually very weak. And so this is Judges 14, 5 through 10. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and there it is. She was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. And so Samson wants to 
bring his parents to, to meet the girl that he's gonna marry, okay? Like a hometown date on The Bachelorette. You guys know what I'm talking about? And on the way, he comes face to face with this lion. And, and this is the first time that we see the strength of Samson get put on display. It says the spirit of God rushed upon him and he tore apart this lion by hand like a stuffed animal, which is, which is pretty cool. But then when they start to return to the girl again to actually marry her this time, Samson passes by the carcass of the lion and he sees that some bees have made honey inside the carcass. He decides that it looks good for whatever reason And so he eats some of the honey and actually goes and gives some to his parents. Now remember, Samson had to live by three rules, right? What were the rules? No dead bodies, no drinking, no haircuts. So he just killed a lion and ate from it. That's strike one, right? Can't go near a dead body. And it says that this lion had been sitting for some days. And so it was rotting. It probably smelled bad, but honey, right? Gotta love it. So in this, we can see so clearly a message on temptation. It is kind of gross to think about eating honey out of a dead lion, isn't it? But here we see him doing this. It's gross to think about scooping honey out of a rotting animal with your hands and then eating it. But here's the truth for you tonight. We may not be eating honey out of a dead lion, but we do chase momentary satisfaction from things that we know aren't good for us. Every single one of us deal with temptation. All of us pass by the honey inside the lion every day. We give in to the impulses. We, we chase the feelings. We, we search for something sweet inside something that's rotting. Temptation tastes like honey, but it sits inside death. And, and that's, that's the evil scheme of sin, right? It, it looks great. It sounds fun, tastes good, but it leads to death. There's an old Eskimo story about how they would kill wolves in the wild. And so they would, they would take a, a knife and they would dip the knife into blood, freeze it, and then stick it in the ground. And so these wolves would come, they'd be attracted to the blood. And so they would start licking the knife. And eventually they would start cutting open their, knife, uh, cutting open their, their tongue and they couldn't distinguish between the blood on the knife and their own blood. And so they would just keep going until they ultimately bled to death. That's what sin does to us. We think it's good, but we don't realize that it's killing us. So what temptation are you dealing with tonight? What, what is the, the honey in the lion that you keep passing by? And so as the story progresses, Samson then prepares a feast to celebrate the coming wedding, which in the original language, the, the word literally meant a week-long drinking party, otherwise known as a rager, okay? Now, remember, Samson had to live by three rules, and he knew this. What was the first one? No dead bodies, Already messed that one up. No drinking, no haircuts. He just killed a lion, ate out of it, strike one. And now he just spent a week getting drunk with his bros, strike two. And so what we can start to see here is that maybe the story of Samson isn't really about his strength, but about his weakness. That those so physically strong on the outside, he was extremely weak on the inside. And this is gonna be a theme that continues through this story. After, after Samson's week-long party, his, his phys- physical strength really gets put on display. In a turn of events, all right, the scandalous, the woman he was gonna marry ends up marrying his best friend. And after that, he gets very angry, which makes sense, right? This really is like the bachelor, bachelorette, isn't it? Um, Tyler, you wanna go to coffee with me to get a drink? Um, <laughs> some of y'all get that. Uh, this makes him so angry that, 
that he ties 300 foxes together by the tail, sets them on fire, and burns down a bunch of Philistine crops. They, of course, get angry about this. And so they retaliate. And he ends up killing a thousand of them with the jawbone of a donkey. And so he had this amazing strength that gets talked about a lot. But as we've said, the, the theme of temptation runs through this story and it will continue to. After these events, we see another woman come into his life named Delilah. So this is Judges 16, four through six. This is what it says. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And so Delilah makes a deal with the, the Philistines that, uh, for, for pieces of silver to seduce Samson and find out why he's so strong. And after a series of trial and error, she tries one last time to get him to tell the truth. This is 15 to 22. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. In other words, he was super annoyed. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So as the story goes, Delilah convinces him to tell her where his strength lies and it lies in his hair. Okay, and that was the third rule, right? And while he's asleep in her lap, she cuts his hair and his strength leaves him. And the Philistines come in, he can't defend himself. That's gotta be one of the saddest verses in the Bible, right? He didn't know the Lord had left him. He's captured, his eyes get gouged out and he's kept as a prisoner by the Philistines. And so again, we see Samson's weakness to temptation getting the best of him, that he continues to put himself in situations that he shouldn't be in. And so we see him here, literally the strongest man alive, laying in the lap of temptation. And, and I think that's where we go wrong a lot of times, right? We, we let certain things get too close. We keep choosing to put ourselves back into situations that we know we shouldn't be in. We lay in the lap of sin. We let it get too close and it gets the best of us. You know, when it comes to temptation, it, it's not the temptation that's too strong. It's often our, our, our sense of the presence of God that's too weak, I want to say that again. When it comes to temptation, it's, it's, not, it's not that the temptation is too strong. It's that our sense of the presence of God is too weak. When it comes to temptation, it, it comes down to what we're saying yes to. Because when it, when it comes to temptation, the answer is always yes. We're always saying yes. We're either saying yes to the temptation or we're saying yes to Jesus. What are we choosing 
to say yes to. Let's read and see what happens next. This is verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. Well, they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. So the Philistines, they bring out Samson as entertainment during a celebration that he had been captured. And Samson leans against the pillars of the house and, and he's made fun of and he's treated like this circus animal as they celebrate. Let's read the last few verses, see how this ends. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had judged he had judged Israel 20 years. And so in his, Samson's last effort, Samson asked God to remember him, give him strength one last time, and the Lord grants it to him. And Samson, with, with his left hand on one pillar and his right hand on the other, pulls down the house, and he kills more Philistines in the moment of his death than he did his entire life combined. And so the story of Samson is one of great strength, but also one of great weakness. And it tells us a lot how to, about how to deal with temptation. But like we said at the beginning, the primary purpose of the Old Testament isn't just for self-application, it's to point us to Jesus. And so if the purpose of the Old Testament is to show us that Jesus was the plan all along, then how does the story of Samson serve that purpose? Well, thousands of years after Samson, an angel would appear to another woman promising a child to be born, and she would conceive, though it seemed impossible. And though Samson was able to begin to save the people of God, it was something that only Jesus would be able to finish. And just like Samson was betrayed for silver by Delilah, Jesus was betrayed for silver by Judas. And just like Samson was mocked, Jesus was mocked. And just as Samson's arms were stretched out on the pillars, one on the left, The arms of Jesus were stretched out on the cross. And just as the weight of the house collapsed upon Samson, the weight of sin collapsed upon Jesus. And just like in the death of Samson, there was victory found in the death of Jesus. But one major difference, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus succeeded in every part of life that Samson failed. That makes him not just a great judge or a great king or great leader, but the true and complete savior that we are in desperate need of. This is just as Jesus had succeeded in every part of life that Samson failed, he's also succeeded in every part of life that we failed. The purpose of this story of, of Samson is to point us to the life and work of Christ. Our hope isn't found in our ability to say no to sin. 
It's in our faith to say yes to Jesus. What Samson couldn't do, Jesus did. What we couldn't do, Jesus did. And so can we say yes to Jesus tonight? Can we? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I want us to say yes to Jesus tonight in worship. Go ahead and stand up with me. You might, have, you might have come here tonight and man, you've been eating honey out of the lion or you've been laying in the lap of sin, but there is grace for you in Jesus. It was the plan all along. Jesus came to earth and he died for you while you were still a sinner. It wasn't the backup plan. It was to show you that Jesus loved you, that God loved you before he even created you. And so tonight as we respond, man, I want you to know there are new chances for you in Jesus that yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't measure up, but Jesus did. What we couldn't do, Jesus did. What Samson couldn't do, Jesus did. And so let's as a body of believers, let's say yes to him tonight and thank him for being the savior that we need. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the story of Samson. You showed yourself strong on his behalf, God, but he was weak, just like the rest of us. And I thank you, God, that when, you came, when it came to our salvation, you didn't send a weak savior. You sent the one who was, who was the savior all along. It was the plan from the very beginning. And so, God, I, I thank you right now for the power of the cross. I thank you, God, that it wasn't the backup plan, that it was to display your love for us. And so, God, we wanna respond to that love tonight, Embrace, embracing the fact that we're not good enough We weren't enough, but you were enough for us. So God, I pray that we would worship you tonight, to say yes to you tonight. And as we leave here, to continue to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.